All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Like I was starting to say before we read, we went through the entire chapter last week and basically outlined the chapter, made application, and learned what there was to learn about it. There was a small section of the chapter that we skipped, and I want to talk about that specifically tonight. And I'm talking specifically about this, this answering this question, where do babies go when they die. We're going to look at that in this passage here. We're going to look at a lot of different passages. And I want you to understand, this is going to be a very teachy type sermon. All right, It's Wednesday night Bible study, so we're going to study a lot. And I don't think I've ever preached an entire sermon on this subject, although I've had this conversation uh, a lot, and sometimes in, in, very, uh, in very difficult situations with people that have just lost a child. And I want to try to help you answer this question. In this passage, we see that David loses a child. If you look at verse 15 there of 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Bible says that Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. We're going to talk about that at the end of the sermon, about when God chooses to take the life of a child. Notice verse 6, David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth. But he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day, this is a seventh-day-old baby, that the child died. Now, here we have an example of a baby, a, a child, a newborn, uh, dying. And, and here's what you need to understand. Uh, there are many different beliefs out there. And let me explain to you what we believe at Verity Baptist Church. We believe, the Bible teaches, and I'm going to prove it to you from Scripture tonight, that when a child dies, when a baby dies, they go to heaven. Now, we don't just believe that because it makes us feel good. We believe that because the Bible actually teaches that. We're going to talk about that tonight. But there are many religions out there who teach the opposite. If you're familiar with the Calvinists, the Calvinists believe that some babies, when they die, they go to hell. And that's because they believe that, you know, salvation is not based on whether you choose to receive through faith, the gift of eternal life, but that God is the one who chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And God is the one that decides whether someone goes to hell or not. And it doesn't make a difference whether they're seven days old or 70 years old. If God has determined that you're not the elect, that you're not the chosen, then you're going to go to hell. And they believe that there are some babies that die. Even the Catholic Church teaches that as soon as a baby is born, you got to get that baby baptized as soon as possible. Because while it's not baptized, because they believe that salvation comes through baptism and through the keeping of the uh, sacraments of the church there, and they teach that while that baby has not been baptized, they are in danger of hellfire. Now, I don't know that a Catholic priest would say, we believe a baby goes to hell, but that's why they rush the whole baby baptism, and they break all sorts of scriptural boundaries when it comes to baptism. The Bible teaches baptism comes after salvation. The Bible teaches it's by immersion. The Bible teaches all sorts of things, but they break all of that because they don't understand salvation. They're trusting baptism to save them, so they say, well, let's just baptize that baby so they're not under that danger. There's other Christian denominations that will teach that a baby goes to heaven if the parents are believers and that the baby goes to hell if the parents are bad people and they're unbelievers. And that's unscriptural. The Bible says that God does not punish children for the sins of their parents. And so tonight I want to give you a scriptural, you know, basis as to what we believe here. Now, if we get back to our story, you'll see that this child died. Notice verse 19, but when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said unto his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house and when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, 
What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? Notice verse 23. But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I want you to notice what David says. He says, I shall go to him. He's saying, I will go to the child. I will be reunited with this child. He says, I will go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now, David obviously went to heaven when he died. The Bible mentions David in Hebrews 11, in the hall of faith, the fact that he was a man of faith and that he's in heaven. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign from the throne of David for the millennial reign. So David is obviously in, in heaven. He's a believer. The book of Psalms tells us that David believed on the Lord. Romans chapter 4 tells us that David believed on the Lord. David is the one that said, Blessed is the man whom God shall not impute sin. So we know that David was saved. And here's what David was saying. He was saying, Hey, this child died. He said, I can't bring him back. He said, I was praying for him while he was sick that he might not die, but God chose to take his life. And he says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So we see an example here where David, who wrote much scripture, David, I mean, the Bible talks more about David than almost any other Bible character in all of the Bible. I mean, other than just Jesus Christ himself, I don't think there's anyone spoken about that we know more about than David. And here we see that David had a belief that he would see that child again. So we see the example of David in the sense that David knew that he would be reunited with this child when he said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now, this is not the only example in Scripture where we are told that when a baby dies, when a child dies, that they go to heaven or they go to a good place. Let me give you a couple of other examples. You're there in, in, in uh, 2 Samuel. Go with me to the book of Job. 2 Samuel, you're going to go past First and Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and then the book of Job. 2 Samuel, First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. The Bible is very clear that when a baby or an infant dies, they go to a good place when they die. David said, I will go to him. He shall not return to me. That's the example of David. But let me give you the example of Job. Now, on Sunday morning, uh, we went into the story of Job. So I'm not going to go into the story of Job today. You know the story. He lost, you know, in chapters 1 and chapters 2, he lost all of his finances. He lost all of his children. His wife turned on him and said, curse God and die. And in chapter 3, we begin to see Job to speak and to talk about just kind of the pain that he's going through and the suffering that he's going through. Notice what the Bible says in Job chapter 3. Look at verse 1. After this, opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said there is a man-child conceived. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. Job is basically wishing that he had never been born. Now, the Bible tells us that Job did not sin with his lips and did not, you know, uh, charge God foolishly. So he's not complaining, uh, he's not blaming God or complaining against God, but he is, you know, going, I mean, he just lost all his children, he's, he's having physical ailments, he, he's, he's dealing with a lot, and, and, and he's, uh, he's depressed, he's discouraged at this time, and he's basically just, he's not cursing God or cursing what God, he's not questioning what God is doing in his life, but he is just 
upset and he's wishing that he had never been born. He's wishing that he had never uh, uh, lived. Look at verse 3. Let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which it was said there is a man child conceived. Let the day be darkness, uh, darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. Let the darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let the uh, cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day Terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joy, uh, joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight therefore be dark. Uh, be dark. Let it look for light but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day. Notice verse 10. Because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrows from my eyes. So basically, at verse 3, he begins this thought about let the day perish when I was born. And at verse 10, he ends that thought. And he gives all these verses 4 through 9. He's just giving all these curses and all these things as to what he wishes would have happened during that day. And he says, because it shot out of the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from my eyes. I want you to notice verse 11. Notice what he says. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? So basically he's saying, why didn't I die in the womb? And keep in mind, this is Job. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He's going through a lot. He said, why didn't I die in the womb? He said, or why didn't I give up the ghost as soon as I was born? Just be born stillborn or be born and, and, and die immediately. Look at verse 12. Why did the knees prevent me or why the breast that I should suck? For now, now notice what he said. He's saying, if I would have died in the womb, And if I would have given up the ghost when I came out of the belly, he says in verse 13, For now should I have lain still and been quiet, I should have slept. Now those are all references to death. He's saying, saying, if that's what would have happened right now, I'd be dead. He said, if that's what would have happened right now, I would be uh, uh, laying still and I would be quiet and I would have slept. But I want you to notice what he says at the end of verse 13. And I want you to make note of this because we're going to study this word out a little bit. He says, then had I been at rest. Do you see that? He, He says, I would have been at rest. I want you to remember that. Make a note of that. Look at verse 14. He said, I would have been at rest. He's saying, I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth which built desolate places for themselves, or with princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver. He says in verse 16, or as in hidden untimely birth. You see that phrase, untimely birth? What that phrase means is a miscarriage. He said, he said I would have been as a miscarried child. He said, as an untimely birth, I had not been as infants which never saw light. Now, I want you to notice what he says in verse 17. There, okay, Where is the there that he's referring to? He's talking about where he would have been if he had been at rest. Where he would have been if he would have suffered an untimely birth. Where he would have been if he would have been miscarried or if he would have been uh, stillborn. Notice what he says in verse 17. There the wicked cease from troubling. He says, if I would have died in the womb, he said, I would have been in the place where there's no wicked people troubling anybody. Because right now, he's being troubled by the wicked one, right? It's Satan, the one that's hindering him and bothering him. And he said, but if I was where the miscarried babies are, there the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at, make note of this word, rest. Do you see that word rest? Look at verse 18. There the prisoners rest together, and they hear not the voice of the oppressor. 
He said, no one's oppressing you there. He said, no one's imprisoning you there. Look at verse 19. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. He says, there's no slavery there. There's no servant there. There's freedom there. Now look, does this, sound, does this there sound like a good place or a bad place? I mean, it sounds like a great place. A place where the wicked do not trouble you, where the weary be at rest, where the prisoners rest together, where there is no servant, where you're free from, from your master. Look at verse 20. Wherefore is light given to him that is in mis- misery and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death. He, he, say, he says, look, you can come to the place in your life where your life is so miserable that there's actually hope in death. That you actually are looking forward to, you know, heaven and, 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 and you know, just being done with, with all the, the wickedness of this world. Look at verse 21. Which long for death, but it cometh not. And dig for it more than for his treasures, which rejoice exceedingly, and are glad when they can find the grave. And I want you to notice here, and again, realize where Job is in life. He's very depressed, very discouraged. But here's what he says. And, and look, the book of Job, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The book of Job is inspired by God. Job was one of the men that the Bible says that the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. When Job speaks, he is speaking on behalf of God. And what he says is true. And here he is telling us that when a child dies stillborn or is born stillborn or when they are miscarried, when they have an untimely birth, they go to a place of rest. And he says it's a place where kings are and councils are, princes are. He said it's a place where there's no troubling from the wicked and the weary be at rest. He says the prisoners rest together and the servant is free from his master. He says it's a good place. So we see the example of David where he says, I I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And we know that David went to heaven. We see the example of Job where he's saying, now what he's saying is maybe not that positive. He's saying, I wish I would have been miscarried. I wish I would have died in the womb. I wish I would have never been born. But what he's saying is, if, I, if that's what would have happened right now, I'd be at a place that's better than the place I am right now because the place he is right now is a place under attack by Satan. It's a place where his health has gone downhill. It's a place where he's lost much. He's lost his family, lost, lost finances. So we see the example of David. We see the example of Job. Let me give you the example of Solomon. Go to the, now, now, do me a favor. Keep your place there in Job. Okay, so because we're going to leave it and we're going to come right back to it, all right? So keep your place there in Job, but go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. So you're there in Job, you're going to pass Psalms, pass Proverbs into Ecclesiastes. So in the Old Testament, we've got three major references that basically tell us when a child dies, when they're miscarried, when they're stillborn, when an infant dies, they go to a good place. David said, I will go to him. David's realizing he's on his way to heaven. Remember, David said, David did not say, restore to me thy salvation. He said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. He never lost his salvation, even through his sin. We see here Job talking about the fact that he wishes he had been miscarried because he, the, the miscarried uh, married, uh, carried child, the untimely birth, they go to a good place. They go to a place of rest. Notice what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Now, again, Ecclesiastes is a somber book, right? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He talks about vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun. He talks about the fact that if you live for pleasure, if you live for yourself, you will live a depressed and, and, and uh, empty life. There's only 
uh, fulfillment and living for God. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. Look, look at chapter 6 and verse 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanted nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not the power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. Notice verse 3. Now notice what he says in verse 3. He says, if a man beget an hundred children. Okay? He's talking about a guy, a hundred children. That's a lot of children, all right? But, you know, in those days, and in the Bible, I should say, having a lot of children is a good thing. You know, it's a blood. Children are in heritage of the Lord, the Bible says. The fruit of the womb is his reward. So it's a, it's a positive thing. He says, if a man beget an hundred children and live many years. So this guy has a lot of children. He has a long life so that the days of his years be many. He has a long life. And his soul be not, uh, but notice what it says, and his soul be, notice what it says, not Filled with good. So this guy has a lot of children. It's a positive thing. He has a long life. That's a positive thing. But even through this life, his soul is not filled with good. So it's not a good life. Notice. And also, he had no burial. Now look, in the Bible, being buried was a very important thing. You ever notice as you read through Genesis or Revelation, the emphasis upon burying believers? Abraham would take the time. We have all sorts of stories where he would take the time to buy a plot of land and bury some. It's very important in Scripture that people be buried properly. Why? Because there's a picture there of being planted in the earth. If you're a believer, you will be resurrected. And there, there's a picture there. And, and it's, it's a very important thing. Here we're told this guy had a lot of children. He, had, he lived a very long life, but his soul be not filled with good. And also he have no burial. Here's what that means. Nobody cares about him. He dies and no one takes the time to bury him. There's no funeral. Okay. He lived a long life. He had a lot of children, but something happened to where he didn't have a relationship with these children. I would imagine if you had a hundred children, you probably wouldn't have a good relationship with those kids. If you have a hundred children, you probably have multiple wives. I, I, I feel bad for the one wife that gave you a hundred children. You know what I mean? I mean, you're probably not, you know, you're probably not being, being focused on your family much. If you have multiple wives, you have all these children. And it's saying this guy did not live, he lived a long life, but he did not live a good life. His life was not filled with good. When he died, no one cared. When he died, no one buried him. When he died, no one even and claim the body, notice what, what Solomon says, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. Now look, if the, if the Bible teaches that the Calvinists are right and babies go to hell, look, that's not better than just having a messed up family that doesn't even bury you. You know what I mean? But he's saying, look, I would rather be miscarried. I would rather have an untimely birth than to live a long life, but it be empty. Live a long life, but my children hate me. Live a long life, but I had no relationships of any value. No one even showed up to the funeral. No one even buried the body. He says, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. Notice verse 6. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness. See, this guy was filled with vanity. His life was about him. He was, it was all about what was in it for him. He departed in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. You see that? This is the untimely birth. He says, the child that dies in the, in the womb hath more rest than the other. Who's the other? That's the guy that begat a hundred children. That's the guy that lived many years. He says, look, he, and I want you to notice the word rest. He says he has more rest 
than the other. Notice verse 6, yea, though he lived a thousand years twice told. He said, if he lived a thousand years and then he lived another thousand, yet hath he seen no good, do not all go to one place. So he talks about this. Sometimes people, he's, he's saying, sometimes you can live your life in a way where it would actually be better if you had been miscarriage. Because at least you'll be in rest. You know, and that's that similar to what Job was saying. Now, I want you to notice this, okay? Did you keep your place in Job? Go back to Job 3, look at verse 13. Job chapter 3 and, and verse number uh, 13. I want you to notice what the Bible says. I know tonight is a little more of a teachy type class, but that's okay. Job chapter 3, look at verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at, notice this word, rest. You see that word rest? Everybody see the word? All right, look at verse 17. You got to wake up, all right? I know it's Wednesday night, but you're already here. All right, you might as well just look, look at it. Rest. Look at verse 17. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at, what's it say? Rest. Do you see that? Look at verse 18. There the prisoners, what's it say? Rest together. All right, you notice the word rest. Go to Ecclesiastes. Go back to Ecclesiastes. Look at verse 6 and verse 5. Ecclesiastes 6, 5. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more what? rest than the other. Okay, you see the theme there is rest. When a child dies, they go to rest. When a child dies in the womb, they are miscarried. They have an untimely birth. They are stillborn. They go to rest. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. It should be fairly easy to find. Last book in the New Testament, Revelation 14. Look at verse number 11. The Bible is very clear that they go to rest. You say, well, well, none of those passages mention heaven. You're right. It didn't mention heaven by name. It just described a place that was a place of rest. It described a place that was a place, it was a, a good place. It was a place where you'd want to go. He said, in fact, it's better than the place that Solomon and that Job found themselves in. Revelation 14, look at verse 11. Now, let me ask you this. If you go to hell, are you at rest? The answer is no. Revelation 14, 11. Notice what the Bible says. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Now notice how God describes hell. And they have no what? Rest, day or night. So look, the Bible right there, it's clear that wherever these children went, it wasn't the lake of fire. Because the lake of fire is a place where their smoke ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So hell is never uh, a place that is referred to as a place of comfort or rest. It, it, in fact, the Bible says the opposite. It says that they have no rest day or night. Now go to the book of Hebrews. You're there in Revelation. If you go backwards in your New Testament, you're going to go past Jude, Past 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, past 2nd and 1st Peter, James, and then you got the book of Hebrews, all right? Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says about believers. For we which have believed do enter into what? Rest. And he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my what? Rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So here, the Bible says believers go to rest. The Bible says unbelievers go to a place where they have no rest. Okay? Where do believers go? Heaven. Where do unbelievers go? Hell. So where do these children that are being described in Ecclesiastes, that are being described in Job, that are being described by David, where did they go? I think it's pretty clear in Scripture that they went to rest. To heaven. They did not die and go to hell. 
There's three examples in the Old Testament that we're told of. And here's what the Bible says. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So look, that's, that's a pretty solid, you know, you say, well, there's a question. I have this Calvinist friend. I have this person. You know, what about infant baptism? Look, the Bible is very clear. When a child, when an infant dies, they go to a good place. They go to heaven. But, but let's take it a step further, all right? You're there in Hebrews. Go to the book of Romans in the New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So the first thing I wanted to show you is that the Bible is very clear. When a child dies, they go to a good place. David said, I will go to him. He shall not return to me. Job said, it's better than the place I find myself in because if I was there, I'd be at rest. I would be a place where the wicked do not trouble. I'd be a place where, I, where there is no slavery, where everyone's in freedom. Uh, so Solomon said that it's a place of rest. He said it's a good place where they go. He said it's better than living a thousand years twice told and, and you die and go to hell. That's what he's saying. But, but let's talk about this. You know, why do babies go to heaven? Is it just because, you know, it makes us feel good to teach and preach that? There's actually a theology behind that, and I want to explain that to you. We don't just believe it because that's what David said, although that would be good enough. We don't just believe it because that's what Job said, although that would be good enough. There's an actual theology and teaching behind it that I want you to, to, to understand tonight. Babies go to heaven Here's why, because they are not condemned. Babies go to heaven because they are not condemned. See, the, way, the reason you and I go to, uh, 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 we, an unbeliever needs to be saved is because they are condemned already, right? Because the wrath of God abideth on them is what the Bible says. But in Romans chapter 7, we find the theology as to when someone becomes condemned. Let's look at it together. Romans chapter 7, look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? So he's saying, is the law a bad thing? And here's what he says, God forbid. No, the law is not a bad thing. Today you got those who teach, throw away the law, do away with the law. It's all about grace. The law is no good. That teaching is not found in Scripture. Amen. The Bible says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Those who teach, just get rid of the law. How are you going to know when you're sinning if you get rid of the law? The Bible says that sin is a transgression of the law. God gave us the law as a schoolmaster to show us when we defended against the Holy God to show us that we needed a Savior. So you don't get just throw away the law because we're in the New Testament or whatever. Notice what he says. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. He said, The law told me not to covet. That's how I know that I should not lust. Notice verse 8. But sin. Now notice what he says. Sin taking occasion by the commandment. What's a commandment? That's the law. Here's what he's saying. Sin took the opportunity of the law or the commandment, and sin is going to use the law as a weapon against you and I. Notice what he says. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Do you see that? He says, look, the sin has no power without the law. He said sin was dead without the law. Notice verse 9. For I was alive without the law once. He says, there was a time before I knew the law and understood the law that I was alive before the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. You say, what is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. And we're going to go to the story of Adam and Eve to, to, to give you a full explanation of this. But what he's saying is this, when, when, when a child is born... They are born three part. We are made in the image of God. You've got the flesh, you've got the, the, the spirit, you've got a soul. Well, that spirit dies. 
whenever the sin enters in, whenever the commandment enters in. He says, sin taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, look at verse 11, and by it slew me. See, here's what he says. When a child gets to the place where they understand and comprehend the law, where they understand and comprehend the difference between right and wrong and that there are some things that God does not want us to do, then sin uses that law to kill that spirit and it dies. When your spirit dies, you now need to be saved. That's why the Bible says that we are quickened, meaning we are made alive. We are a new creature. The Bible says about the Word of God, for the Word of God is quick and powerful. It it, it quickens you. It revives you. That's what the Bible says. Therefore, you know, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Why? When you got saved, you got born again. Why? But here's what you need to say. You were born with a spirit. But when you understood the law, when you understood the commandment, the sin used the law against you and it slew your spirit and you died and you were now in need of salvation. But when you got saved, you received the word and it quickened you. You received Christ and he resurrected you. He made you a new creature. You were born again into the family of God. The Bible is very clear in Romans 7 that a child or a person is alive without the law. When they don't understand the law, you bring these children up here, you bring my little Lydia up here who's a big sinner, But she doesn't understand the law. She's not dead. She doesn't understand. You know, all these kids, they don't know when they're doing bad. They don't know when they're doing wrong. But when they get to the place where they do understand that, then they die. And now they are in need of a Savior. Notice verse 11 again. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Now we're going to see this in a story in Genesis. But before we do that, just go to Romans 9 and look at verse 11. I just want you to notice, these children, when they're in the womb, they're not sinners condemned. They don't sin. Notice Romans 9 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says about Jacob and Esau when they were in the womb. Romans 9 11. For the children, being not yet born, meaning they were in the womb, neither having done any good or evil. In the womb, they've done no good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. And, of course, we can get into that, and we're, we're not going to get into that tonight. But here's what I want you to say. When they were in, when they were not yet born, the Bible says, neither having done any good or evil. Go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. So let's, let's look at this in a practical type way. Genesis chapter 2, look at verse number 9. Don't worry, we're not going to be here any longer than we normally are on a Wednesday night. We'll be done in like 10, 15 minutes. We'd be done faster if you just listen better. But... Um, I have to explain it so many times, you know. Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 9. Notice what I was saying. should be easy to find. First book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Notice what it says. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life. Remember that God made the tree of life, right? That was a good tree. Also, in the midst of the garden, the, notice what it says, tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Why? Why is it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because it's the knowledge of the law that kills you. It's the knowledge. It's the commandment. It's the law. Sin taken occasion by the commandment slew me, killed me. And God tells him here, you know what you want to stay away from, Adam and Eve? You want to stay away from the knowledge of good and evil. Up to this point, Adam and Eve were innocent. I don't know how that all played out. Obviously, they were in a human, you know, grown state, and they were, ta- you know, they were able to talk and communicate, but they were in a state of innocence like these babies that we have here that don't understand, you know, the difference between good and bad. 
They don't understand. They don't have the knowledge of good and evil yet. Notice what it says. Notice, skip down to verse number 15 for sake of time. Genesis 2, 15. Notice what it says. And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day, now I want you to notice this, in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Question. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, Everybody thinks it's an apple, but the Bible never tells us that. I tend to think it's a banana. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, but when they, it, that doesn't seem as epic, right? A banana, they ate of the banana. So here's the thing. When they ate of the, no, of, the, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did they die that day? No. In fact, they lived hundreds of years afterwards. Say, so, well, is God a liar? Because God said that the day that thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. Here's the thing. They died spiritually. That day, their, their spirit died. That's what uh, uh, Paul is talking about when he says, I was alive without the law once. So was Adam and Eve. They were alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Let's, let's keep reading. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 6. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Notice what it says. And the, when the woman saw the tree, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. There's some things you don't want to be wise about. This is the wrong type of knowledge. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Notice what it says in verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened. Okay? They became knowledgeable. They understood and they, don't miss this, knew. You see that? They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You see, Adam and Eve died when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they understood the commandment. They understood the law. Sin revived. And I died. That's what, well, that's what Paul said. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. These children are born in the womb or when they're born infants, they don't understand the difference between them. You, you can tell a one-year-old or a six-month-old or, or, you know, uh, hey, you know, don't do this or don't do that or, you know, don't slobber all over my phone and they're going to slobber all over your phone because they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. But children do get to a place eventually where they do understand. You know, sometimes people ask me, you know, well, how do you know when that number is? I don't know when that number is, okay? The age of accountability. The Bible never tells us that. And in fact, I think it's different for uh, different children. You know, I think the Mormons teach the age of accountability is 13. Okay, well, that's, that's way too old, right? You know, a 13-year-old knows, you know. But, but I do think it's different for different children or different situations. If you have a child, for example, that has Down syndrome, they're probably not going to come to that age so maybe later than, than another child who's not struggling with those things. So, but here's what I want you to understand. When a child gets to the place where they understand, they're not just, you know, doing bad and not even hiding. You know how babies, they like, they like you know, destroy the kitchen. You know, I remember my son Joshua one time, my wife and I were, you know, working on something or something in another room, and, and we came out, and the refrigerator door was open. He was like nine months old, and, you know, 24 eggs were just all over the place. I mean, just everywhere. And he had this big smile on his face. He's like, ta-da! Like, he just expected us to be like, wow, that's amazing. He didn't know he'd done anything wrong, you know? Joshua does that today. He knows he's doing wrong, all right? And, you know, they're hiding it when they break something. They're hiding it. You say, well, how do you know? Here's a good indication. Because notice verse 7, Genesis 3, 7. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. 
When a child begins to realize that they're naked, they're probably getting to the place where they're starting to understand the difference between good and evil. Because if you have a small child at home, you know those kids, they'll take their clothes off, they'll take their, their diaper off, they're running around naked. They don't think there's anything wrong with it. In fact, they prefer it. They think it's more comfortable, you know. But, you know, a child eventually gets to a place where, you know, you walk into a room and it's like, I'm dressing, you know, like, don't come in. And they start to have that embarrassment and realize that they're naked. That's probably a good indication that they're getting to the place where you want to start talking to them about the gospel, talking to them about salvation, talking to them about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm just saying. You say, why do we believe that babies go to heaven? Here's why we believe they go to heaven, because they're not condemned. Because they don't understand the law. They don't understand the, they don't have the knowledge of good and evil. They don't understand they're sinners. But look, when a child gets to the place where he understands the difference between right and wrong, and he's able to comprehend the gospel, understand the gospel, then we need to get those children saved. And we shouldn't be waiting till they're 13 years old to preach the gospel. Preach them gospel as soon as they're able to understand it. You know, be preaching them gospel the whole time. Even if they don't understand it, just talk to them about it. You know, get them. And, and by the way, let me say this. Don't get this hang up. Where, like, sometimes kids need to get, quote-unquote, saved several times. Be okay with that. Now, don't be that parent that's like, you don't have to get saved. You got saved, you know, two years ago. Don't you remember? Look, if you got to tell them, all right, they're not saved, okay? It should be something they remember. And don't get frustrated, upset, like, well, you already got saved. Hey, sometimes they need to go through it. They need to understand it. They, you say, how many times would you go through it with your kid? I go through it as many times as I need to for them to understand what they've done. Because salvation is something that happens in your mind and in your heart. You must understand it. And, and, and you need to be saved when you get to the place where you're knowledgeable of sin. Go, go to 1 Kings chapter 14. We're going to finish right here. 1 Kings chapter 14. I want to deal with one more thing on this subject. And I know this is a tough subject, especially if you've had a miscarriage before, if you've lost a child. I, I, you know, it's easy for me to preach the Bible but I can't imagine what you feel like if you've lost a child. I've never lost a child. We've, my wife has had miscarriages in the past, but we've never lost a child, especially that was born and then, and then died. I would imagine that's a very difficult thing to, to deal with. But here's what I do want to talk about is when a baby does die, if you have a miscarriage, and there are sometimes ladies who have multiple mis- miscarriages, can't get pregnant or can't keep a pregnancy, when a baby dies or maybe you have a child that died after birth. You know, they were one year old or six months old or whatever. Um, we need to understand that God knows best. And God knows what he's doing. And, you know, David's child was struck with sickness and it, and it died. And, and it would be easy for you and I to just judge God. And like Job did not do, charge God foolishly and say, God, why did you do this? But I want to give you an example in the Bible where the Bible tells us that sometimes God allows babies to die out of mercy for that child. So what are you talking about? Look at it at 1 Kings chapter 14. Look at verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. And at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. So Jeroboam's the king, and he has a son, a baby, by the name of Abijah. And the baby becomes sick. Look at verse 2. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam, and get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah the prophet, which told me that I should be king over the people. So Jeroboam has not been living for God. But, you know, he's been living for himself and for the world. But when he needs, it's always interesting, when he needs to get, you know, a word from God, they always know where to go. And he knows to get to the prophet, Ahijah, 
who was the one that told him that he'd be the king to begin with. Look at verse 3. He's telling his wife, dress up and disguise yourself because people are going to be like, why is Jeroboam's wife going to see the prophet? So he's telling her like, you know, uh, look at verse 3 again. Jeroboam said to his wife, arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam. He's like, go, go in disguise so that people don't know that it's my wife going to this prophet. Look at verse 3. And take with thee ten loaves and crankles and curse of honey and go to him and he shall tell thee what shall become of the child. He says, he's going to tell you what if our child's going to recover. He's going to tell you what's going to become of the child. Look at verse 4. And Jeroboam's wife did so and arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see for his eyes were set by reason of his age. And the Lord said unto Ahijah, behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, for it shall be when she cometh in that she shall feign herself to be another woman. And it was so when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door that he said, come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. So remember, she comes in all uh, hit, you know, incognito and he says, come in, Jeroboam's wife. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. Go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people and made thee prince over my people Israel and rent the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it thee, and yet thou hast not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do that only which was right in mine eyes, but, ha- but has done evil above all that were before thee, for thou hast gone and made the other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger, and hast cast me behind thy back. So I want you to understand what he said. He said, I've got heavy tidings for you. He said, I've got, I've got to tell you some bad news. Here's why. I cho- God chose you to be king, Jeroboam, and when you became king, you forsook God. That's usually what happens. People are, you know, they don't have a job, their marriages are falling apart, their kids are going wayward, they come to church, they're all humble, then they get a job, you don't see them again. They get a car, you don't see them again. That's what happened to Jeroboam. He, got, he became king, and he just started living for himself, and, and God is telling him, you know, you've done this, and you've done that, and you've uh, uh, done evil above all that were before you. Notice verse 10. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off. The, the term cut off means I'm going to kill, or I'm going to have killed from Jeroboam him. Notice this phrase. I know it's not, a, it's, a, it's not a popular phrase today, but it's in the Bible, all right? That pisseth against the wall, all right? Every word of God is pierced, what the Bible says. You say, what does that phrase mean, pisseth against the wall? Well, the only people that piss, that piss against the wall are males, all right? A female doesn't piss against the wall. So here's what he's saying. Every, every male in your family is going to die, is what he's telling Jeroboam. But notice how he, how he tells them they're going to die. And him that is shut up and left in Israel, I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man taketh away dung till it be all gone. He said, I'm going to kill your, the, every male in your family like a man would be picking up dung. Notice verse 11. Him that dieth of Jeroboam in the city shall dogs eat. Now remember the importance of being buried Being buried is an important thing. But he's saying when your family members die, Jeroboam, if they die in the city, they're not going to get buried. No one's going to care about them. The dogs are going to eat them. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat, for the Lord has spoken. Here's what he's saying. Every male in your family is going to die a violent death. 
They're going to be killed, and their bodies are going to be left there to rot. And if it's in the city, the dogs are going to eat them. And if it's in the field, the fowls of the air are going to eat it. Look at verse 11. For the Lord hath spoken it. He's basically saying, I'm going to judge your family, Jeroboam, because you're a wicked person. I'm going to have every male in your family, everyone that pisses against the wall, is going to be die a violent death. Look at verse 12. Arise thou therefore, get thee to thine own house, and when thy feet enter into the city, the child shall die. He says, the baby's going to die. Look at verse 13. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. He says, this baby's not going to die and have the dogs eat him or the fowls of the air eat him. He said, this baby's going to die and people are going to mourn for him. They're going to bury him. Notice what he says. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave. He said, he's the only male in the entire family that's going to get a proper burial because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Here's what God said. I found something good in this little baby, and I'm going to have them die, and he's going to be mourned, and he's going to be buried, and I'm actually going to keep him from dying the violent death that the rest of your family is going to die. And see, you and I would look at it and say, why would God take the life of this child? But look, God was actually showing, doing an act of mercy upon this child by allowing him to die as a child and keeping him from the evil that would come to him as a result of being raised in this wicked family. Sometimes a child may die and you and I might curse God or charge God foolishly or say, well, God, why do you do this? But you don't know that God may be performing an act of mercy because there may, be, there may have been something terrible that would have happened to that child and God has actually just saw something good in them. He loves them and he's actually keeping them from that evil. Here's what I'm trying to say is you and I do not know the mind of God. We can't, and we can't pretend to know the mind of God. And sometimes, like Job, like we were talking about on Sunday morning, we just have to say, you know what? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? We have to believe that God has our best interest in mind. And sometimes a child is taken, and we can sit there and question God, but we don't know. It may be an act of mercy upon that child's life. Now, can you just make your way back to, to 2 Samuel chapter 12? Let's just finish up with one quick thought. I, I told you there's a place we're going to turn to, but I, I lied. I'm not in, in innocency. I know the difference between the knowledge of good and evil, and I lied to you, okay? So Second uh, Samuel chapter 12. I just want you to notice one thing. Look at verse 18. 2 Samuel chapter 12, look at verse 18. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped them. Uh, then he came to his own house. And when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. And by the way, let, let, me, let me say this. The mo, you know, from this chapter on, David's daughter gets raped. Two of his boys kill each other. And no, Solomon has to put another one of his sons to death for insurrection. It may, you say, well, why did God kill this babe? He might have just been keeping this child safe from all the mess that's coming in the next several chapters. And you and I don't, don't know that. We can't judge God. But I want you to notice, when David finds out that the child is dead, he 
quits morning, he, he quits fasting and, and he rises up and he, he worships. Look at verse 21. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I want you to understand something. David was fasting and mourning and weeping while the child was alive and sick, praying that God might heal the child. But when he died, David was in peace. You say, why? He was in peace because he knew that I shall go to him. See, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, you don't have to turn there. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. See, we don't sorrow as those which have no hope. I can't imagine what it would feel like to lose a child, but here's the hope that we do have, that I will see him again. I will go to him. He shall not return to me. And David had that hope that he wasn't sorrowing like someone that had no hope. He had the hope that he would see the child again, and he was able to move on with his life, and he just had to trust that God had his best interest in mind. So where do babies go when they die? I believe they go to heaven. I believe the Bible is very clear about that. And I, I hope, you know, maybe you say, well, this, this is interesting, but, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, you may lose a child at some point. You may know someone that's lost a child. Maybe you can use some of these scriptures to try to comfort them and help them to know that children who die before they're able to understand, before they're able to be saved, to even have the opportunity to be saved, the Bible's clear they go to heaven when they die. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.